The following film tackles sensitive issues such as sexual assault, violence against women, and the inner workings of the lesbian mind. And it was all written by some fucker named Barry. It's time for a new episode of Raspberry Fields Forever. Let's go pick those berries. Join us on a journey as we frolic through fields of filmmaking follies. Join us on this week's episode of Raspberry Fields Forever. You suck! What's up, everyone? This is Jesse Rodden, and here with me always is my co-host and production partner, Karen Gibbs. Karen, how you doing today, bud? I've been better. <laughs> Was this one a little rough for you? I We're, we're going to get into that, into the uh, properly allocated portions of the show. Mm-hmm. But just like a tiny bit of a spoiler, I'm not going to have very many nice things to say about this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you are a member of the LGBTQ community, uh, LGBTQ plus, this is not the film for you. Let's just go ahead and like just knock that out right off the bat, because it is a film that is not great to the people who are lesbian. Let's just go ahead and get right into it with our first segment. God save the screen. God help me. God save the screen! So in this segment, we focus on the meat and potatoes of the story. Let's just go ahead and get into it because we got a lot to cover in this one and a little bit amount of time to do it in. It is a film called Windows, the 1980 film Windows. Karen. Let's hear your first thoughts, man. Okay, so fun fact, or there's nothing fun about this movie. Factoid, this, the title Windows was considered for the Woody Allen film Interiors, of which uh, Gordon Willis, the director, he was a longtime cinematographer known for The Godfather, All the President's Men, Clute, and a bunch of Woody Allen movies, if that tells you anything about the kind of personalities we're working with here. And this was his first and only directorial effort. With good reason. I mean, when you make a uh, film that looks at lesbianism the way that they do, it doesn't lead to a long and prosperous career as a director, I would say. <laughs> no, it's 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 downright abhorrent, in my opinion. Um, I, I think one of the things about this particular show is last week we focused on the more jovial aspects of poor Hollywood filmmaking choices, just kind of like technical stuff and story like oh, this doesn't make any sense. I am here to rip this piece of garbage to shreds (laughs) because I absolutely despise this film. I hate that it was made. I hate that people were subjected to the script that was written. This, and again, and it's another instance of Barry Siegel, the guy who wrote it, he was a novelist and I cannot tell you a book off the top of my head to save my life. And this was the only film he ever worked on. And I'm, I'm glad it was the only one, but I'm upset that he was able to even get that platform. Yeah. It's uh, it's just terrible. <laughs> I don't even have really have words to describe exactly what's happening. So let's just get into it. Let, let's just start the story. So it starts off with Emily, who is a very shy woman. It's actually Adrian from the Rocky series, which is amazing to me. <laughs> yeah, Talia Shire. And you, you mentioned that she was shy. She's written as shy because they didn't want to give her any friggin' personality. <laughs> and like it's just like, oh, she's shy and that's her personality, so we don't have to give her any meaningful dialogue. And I just I, I think it's so dehumanizing. I think it takes away agency. And we, we begin this movie 
with a shot of like a neon parking lot and they don't cut away from the shot for like two minutes. So immediately off the bat, my first thought is, Oh my God, we get it. You're a cinematographer. You're making bold choices. Yeah. And that was the question that I had right off the bat because we are introduced to her who she's walking down. Was that a subway tunnel? It looked like a roller coaster ride at the very beginning when you're about to shoot out the tunnel and it's got like that neon like lights that would go around the tunnel before you shoot out of it. That's what it looked like to me. Maybe it was like nighttime and it was like a parking lot. And that's like the overhead lights or like some weird, like a garage tunnel. It was an interesting frame. Yeah. That's cool, I guess. And then you establish that her and her, I assume, estranged husband work together and are getting a divorce. That is like the first bits of information that they give us off the bat. And I guess my initial question with this, and it kind of brings me to something now, I'm going to have to skip ahead a little bit here. But at a certain point in the movie, she gets a phone call from her ex-husband and he's asking where she is and if she's going to be returning to work anytime soon. And He is working on some glass, like, I don't even know what it is. It's just like he's building some architecture type thing, science-y project, but they don't ever explain what he does, what she does. They just explain that they work together and like, she needs to come back to work, but she's not coming back to work. And it's at this weird facility that they kind of established in the beginning with this weird tunnel. And so, yeah, it just begs the question, what the hell does she do for a living, man? I I was a little too busy being preoccupied by being pissed off about like 99% of this movie. <laughs> so yeah. I'll be honest, that part didn't really bother me. Okay. Well, I mean, it was just one of those things that like, like that was the first thing that just stood out to me was like, this shot is composed very well, but I don't understand where they are. It, it, it does nothing for establishing the scene and where they're at. And so after we get out of this parking lot, they kick the proverbial door down within what, like the first 10 minutes. And we witness Emily, the main character portrayed by Talia Shire, go to her apartment. And then she's followed by a man with a knife and we proceed to see her be assaulted. And I don't like that other word. Like, I just don't feel comfortable saying it, but she is sexually assaulted. And it's not one of those things where like, oh, it's alluded to. No, we stick with it for a good seven minutes. Oh, yeah. They stuck in that room for such an uncomfortable amount of time. They didn't necessarily show us anything like they didn't show us her breast and they didn't show us any like shadows of people penetrating or anything like that. But just his like drooling nature of this character just standing over her with a knife to her mouth and to her throat and stuff. Bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Me personally, I don't think you really need to put that act on film. That's just my opinion. But I can't entirely like rule 100% of that kind of stuff out because say somebody has a story they want to tell of their own personal experience, who am I to remove their agency? Again, this was written by some dickhead named Barry. And I can't help but just read my exact note, note entry. You have lost my respect slash further interest in your fucked up power fantasy with a horribly extended assault scene to fucking begin this movie. <laughs> so right now they, they are playing with a massive disadvantage. And then I, I honestly just want to spend like the least amount of time possible on this particular scene. But the way the content of the movie goes, that's impossible because they are consistently revisiting. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is a constant revision until we get to the crescendo of the whole thing. It's just so 
graphic and it's also weird too because like they keep showing shots of this cat why do they keep going back to shots of the cat walking around the apartment while he's like on top of her like drooling like a fucking troll i do not i don't understand anything about the choices made in this film i don't understand literally like less than 20 minutes in i wrote in my notes who greenlit this? Yeah, to be honest, you could have had the same effect as a filmmaker with as soon as she opened the door, the guy forces himself in with her and kind of covers her mouth. And then they go off camera as the door shut. You can have like some sounds of, you know, what's about to happen to her. Bam. Like it still has that same emotional effect of, oh my gosh, this thing is happening to this woman without having to lure in it and just kind of have this perversion with it. I don't think it should have been a fucking movie. <laughs> like when we get, we're not even out of like, let alone the first act, we're not out of the catalyst. And I'm already of the opinion this, this movie doesn't say anything. It doesn't get anybody anywhere and it doesn't tell a story very well. So let's sludge on. There is one, I guess, the MacGuffin of the whole thing is the knife, the little switchblade that he has. And he's also recording the rape. He's recording all the sounds and the moans and the uh, uh, of everything. It's it's really just, yeah, we do have to mention that because that is a catalyst. And he he does his fucking thing and then he takes off. Then the police show up. And something I will never be able to get past in this movie is everybody surrounding Emily, Talia Shire's character, is just predatory. Even characters that are supposed to be like protagonists or good people, they just look at her like a piece of meat. And they, and they, it's just, it's, it makes my skin crawl. Yeah. But the, the, the police show up and then we're introduced to Andrea, who is portrayed by Elizabeth Adams. And the thing is like, we'll come to find throughout later this movie. I, I do have very few like good things to say about it, but you know, a job is a job when it comes to the actors. Liz Adams is working her tail off of what she's given here. She is fully committed and she is, in my opinion, too good for this movie. Agreed. Agreed. And we meet her overbearing neighbor. Andrea. And the way they're going about like questioning her about this attack is not, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just, it's beratement. And the detective they have like talking to her, who's supposed to be like the love interest, which is that gets under my, that, that, that greases my gills too. Because if you're in, if you're insisting on doing this movie about a woman recovering from an assault, why on God's green earth would you put a love story in it? Who's in the mood to like play Jennifer Aniston when you just got, when that's something that horrible happened to you. But anyway, the guy that gets to play her love interest, he looks like a speed two Travis Bickle. I hated him. A, a methed out Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Sylvester Stallone without the charisma. And that's saying a lot. <laughs> like this cat was dead behind the eyes. The thing that I thought was interesting about that scene is that they're kind of doing this interrogation, trying to get information about this guy. And this neighbor shows up, uh, Elizabeth Ashley, Andrea, and she starts asking the cops questions like she has anything to do with anything going on. Like, why did you let her in that room? A woman had just been assaulted. You should have turned her away at the door and said, this is none of your concern. And yet she just walks in and she's like, what's going on? And the, then the police just start spilling their guts. Well, you know, she last night she was assaulted and we're trying to get information and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you don't know this woman from Adam. This movie makes me physically angry and it really shouldn't because I shouldn't like get that invested in anything. <laughs> Take your blood pressure medication. You shut your mouth. <laughs> and one of the things that like this movie, I want to say has going for it, but a narrative thread it's planted is the, the mystery of who's behind this attack. 
And then the next scene, we see Andrea with the tape recorder, literally like five minutes later. So she's behind this somehow. And she's listening to the tape recorder mm-hmm. in a taxi cab. In my mind, I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, we got past that. I hate this movie, but I'll sit through the rest of it. And then we have to revisit the attack and I have to listen to the entire thing again. In my notes, it says, no, 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 no. Ew, ew, ew. Turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. Well, and to make things worse is like the cabbie was, spoiler alert, ends up being the guy that raped her. He hands the tape over to her who's in the back seat, and she sits there in the taxi and just listens to it. Just like so turned on by it that she's got to sit there and just smoke a cigarette and listen to it. Like a like a dirty French film. Uh, this is uh, I I think this is more like a more like a dirty film that should be put in jail. <laughs> uh, the smut of the smut. It is, smut has some value because it makes some people feel good. <laughs> this movie is just complete nothing. I hate it. Okay, so she's interviewed by the police and Andrea stops by to comfort her. And then we reveal that she's kind of behind the whole thing. And that's pretty early on that we figure that out. Still don't know why, but we understand that she was behind the rape in some way, shape or form. The next thing that happens is that we see Emily looking for a new place to live. I I mean, honestly, I think that would probably be the next conclusion I would make, too, is like, I want to get the hell out of there. She finds an apartment like weirdly easy, though. And then they tell her, you know, you're really lucky to get this. Like, you realize how this development is right now. Like, it's hard to get something in these times. And she's just like, I know. And then, you know, they have a problem with her cat. That, that's a that's a plot thread that they kept sewing that really didn't have no bearing on anything. Oh, I, 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 I think the cat was sort of a plot point. Well, OK, no, I mean, it certainly became one. It, uh, I guess it was a plot point in the end with it being killed. I think just the plot point of it being in the apartment didn't have a thread. It just kept being rehashed by the person who was the doorman of the place. It's really just like an emotional barometer, you know, because like when Andrea goes to pick her up, she attacks her. Oh, the cat doesn't like this person. So this isn't a good person, which like Mm -hmm. I I just I just wrote all American pussycat detects lesbos. (laughs) She doesn't, she's getting into her new apartment and she doesn't have any of her stuff. And then she calls her ex-husband, Sam, I think was his name. And that's the second time it happened where I had the question of where the hell do these people work? Cause it looks like he's working on a hydron collider, you know, like I don't understand. Uh, and it bothered me. I don't know why it bothered me so much, but it did. I wanted to know more about that place that he worked at. Like what was that machine? I think you're focusing on all the wrong things here. I know, but I mean, we know the movie's terrible. So let's just go ahead and talk about some of the more minor details. We don't even want to get into the backdrops. Like anything that was behind a window in some way, shape or form looked like a backdrop that you would see at a high school auditorium play. It made me so viscerally angry because this movie has like the gall to be the movie it is. And (laughs) she's moving and she has like her possessions, which when she's moving, Andrea has already taken the liberty of taking a bunch of crap out of her apartment. So she has like three boxes up there, which, you know, red flag number one. Yeah. And some roses. Yeah. And I I actually have written in my notes, rose farts, because the the drone they have under it, it sounds like a fart. Um, But she's moving and the detective comes back. He is hitting on this woman who is a rape victim. There is a rapist on the loose and, and he and, and, and he's trying to pull some. It, it makes me so viscerally angry. But when she's moving, she has this cat in this little like grocery sack or like a home goods bag that you take to uh, Winco or something like that kind of thing. And right when he leaves, he hears the cat meow and he goes, 
let the cat out of the bag. Fuck you. <laughs> you have the gall to put this piece of shit horror show in front of me. And then you make a cat pun. You go to hell, come back, tell me how it was and go right the fuck back. <laughs> Jesus. Yep, the, the good old lesbian hating cat. Nobody else can sense Andrea as a bad person, but that fucking cat can. <laughs> so let's let's uh, it's so it's it's a gross, gross picture. The detective had zero chemistry with Emily and had those sunken in eyes and just looked like a perv himself, like someone you wouldn't trust. How he finds her at her new apartment, he's just like, uh, oh, found it and I uh, just want to make sure you were all right. So I came over instead of being completely weirded out by that like she should have been she's like won't you come in and she completely trusts this guy i would assume that a woman that had just gone through something like that would more than likely be completely terrified of men at that point or at least men that are trying to hit on her and know where she lives and she didn't give him the address that's a little much even if he is a cop I'll be, when I was watching this thing, I was like, okay, so clearly like they're in on it and then he's going to be in on it too, like the cop. And then they just go throughout the movie and he's square, he's, he squares a sponge and like <laughs> Ernest goes to jail. Like how, how is this man not a killer? Yeah. He's full on like Buffalo Bob in it. And, and she's into him. Yeah. Like, I, like I, I, Barry, you suck. On top of that, like she needs someone to help her move and her ex-husband tried, but he couldn't get the movers to help her. So Andrea, who apparently is loaded, just completely rich because she's just like, you know, I'll pay for everything and stuff like that, trying to win over Emily. She helps her move into the house and has the thing of roses for and then invites her over to her house for, I guess, some type of just, you know, oh, hey, girlfriend's hanging out. And then. The weirdness of her seduction tactics towards Emily was just like, how did Emily not realize that this this woman was super into her? I'm going to postulate here a little bit. I know nothing about this man. Um, I'm going to take a guess that Barry was hurt in a relationship and his former paramour. I don't even know if she was like actually in the queer community. She might have just like had a like thought a woman was cute and he just took that. And just used an entire like Hollywood budget and screenwriting opportunity to just piss on all the lesbians because he's angry about something. The, the like killer queer kind of stereotype that has just been floating around for almost nigh a century. Not only is it detrimental, it's tired. It is so tired. Yeah. And I, I don't think we've actually come out and said the whole reasoning behind it. Andrea is actually going through all these tactics because she is in love with Emily and is a lesbian and it has an attraction to her, doesn't know how to express that attraction, obviously has some type of mental issues because she sees a therapist who happens to be the same therapist that Emily goes to. And there's that whole weird dynamic with her and the therapist. Um, Honestly, though, like, the corduroy chair that he's sitting in is the only good thing about this movie. <laughs> if you look at the therapy sessions and you just mash them all together, there's like half a short film that's decent. Because again, Liz Adams, she's taking what she's got and she's putting everything into it. Like she's she's got some really like genuinely emotional moments and like she understands like the hurt and the psychopathy. But again, it's just it's just a harmful role. And it sucks that she mm -hmm. put that much good energy into something so just 
objectively ugh. And so Emily is moving and is trying to get all of her stuff out. And so, you know, being the good neighbor that Andrea is comes over and starts talking to her and trying to help her and stuff. Lo and behold, the rapist shows back up and tries to go for round two, a good midday round two. You know what I'm saying? Don't phrase it like that, you psycho. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I'm saying, though? Like, I guess I can't say I know what a rapist thinks or anything like that, but I would assume it's a lot like anybody else and like you don't want to return to the scene of the crime why would you go back to the same person and why would you want to do it midday it was it was at night last time you were there but we're talking midday at a crime scene now it didn't make sense to me at all and then knowing what we know happens in the end and knowing that andrea is fueling this whole thing why was that guy cool with getting his arm smashed in the door that guy had to have broke his arm in several places because she was ramming that arm into that door because you know a treacherous lesbian money knows no bounds uh yeah i mean she had that lesbian money <laughs> i say that totally sarcastically and then just goes through the whole seduction angle where the lowest cut dress she could find she is trying to get emily drunk she's going through all the stereotypes of like a predatory person that anybody should see in the end that she doesn't have your best interest at heart sweetie but she is completely oblivious to it of course i mean i guess it is the 1980s but let's be honest like she should have known people had brains in the 80s You know, we get later in the story and her and the detective's relationship is kind of blooming. It's revealed that Andrea has taken up residence right across the street from her new apartment in this, I mean, five story house because she was on the fifth floor and is just creeping on her. I mean, total like cucking out, man. So just watching her through the window. I mean, just full on like smoking a cigarette like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's the shit. Uh-huh. Oh. The only thing that happens for about 40 minutes while she's doing that is later in the day, like Talia Shire, Emily, she hails a cab to go somewhere. I can't even remember. And she sees the name of a guy and his name's Lawrence and she keeps calling him Larry and he, he, he wants to be called Lawrence. Come to find Lawrence is the rapist. And so she immediately like kind of puts two and two together, asking him to pull over as you would. She goes to a payphone. And he's like, yeah, my flag's still up. you got to get back in. And she's like, oh, okay. And then she gets out and like, she makes a call. She gets back in and just the tension's supposed to build. And then all of a sudden they get to the destination and homeboy Coparino is waiting there with his pistol. And I'm like, oh, it's a setup. But still, you have his name. You could have found him. Oh, it makes no sense. That would only make sense if it was something from today, because if you have the technology of today, then yeah, they might be able to find that cab within that amount of time. Maybe not, possibly, but we're talking about 1970s, 1980s technology, right? We're talking about, they didn't even make it to their destination. She got so weirded out that she was just like, no, just pull over here. And she gets out of the vehicle and then all of a sudden, bam, cops are there surrounding them. That would make sense if they were in a small town, but they're in New York. (laughs) It wouldn't be that easy to find a specific cab in New York City in the 1970s and 80s. Okay, I watch enough taxi that I know. Okay, the hoops mentally that you have to jump through to even like comprehend this movie are absolutely spectacular. Just not. And that's the only time I'm going to say spectacular throughout the whole whole review. The gall is spectacular that they think I'm going to meld my perception on how like, you know, things happen to enjoy this piece of garbage. 
she has all of her stuff, but they're still hanging out in the floor of her apartment. Like she doesn't have a bed. I don't get that either. And then they get the call where Andrea is looking at them through the telescope and is just like, don't touch her. Freaking weirdo, man. And then like their nonchalantness about it. You just realize that someone has been watching you this whole time. Your reaction is not to freak out. It's just kind of like looking out the window ominously. Well, that was strange. Yeah. Well, that was a weird conversation. Let's let's go back to sitting on pillows and holding hands. The dynamics bet- between people in this film are just so it's it's like it's like a dude never went outside. And then he's like, you know, I'll leave if you want me to. No, I don't want you to leave. Are you sure? Yeah, I think you better go. What do you want, woman? What do you want, man? There's a portion after he receives the call and they do nothing. She has a neighbor, Sam and Ida. Uh, we meet them earlier in the movie when she needs to use the phone and they're elderly people. Sam goes missing. So Emily goes to Ida and Sam's apartment. They share a drink and Ida like collapses. Why? Because she's old. That's all you need to know. <laughs> because the ambulance shows up and she goes off to the hospital and we come to find that like Sam was dead in the basement. You know what? Do you want to know why I told you that? Why? Do you want to know why? Why? I don't know either because it didn't do anything for the plot. <laughs> That's the first and only because she goes to the apartment and she's away and then she comes back and then something else takes her to Andrea's apartment. So that was just like a side mission. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and did they even have an explanation as to like, I assume Andrea had something to do with that, but did they really explain any of that? Like I didn't, I I mean, I watched it twice and I don't think I came across anything. No, I don't think they did, but the, but someone she does like kill is her therapist because that happens right before uh, Andrea coaxes Emily into coming over. We have to have that whole dramatic pull out the drawer and she picks the biggest, shiniest knife in the drawer, you know, that's just right there on top. And this scene pissed me off the most <laughs> because, because she, t- she takes a knife out. She's <clears throat> they're building up to this moment and then she's behind him and she gets his attention. He turns around and then we cut to something else. In my mind, I'm like, OK, so we can watch and hear multiple times a very graphic and disturbing attack on somebody that's just very, it's dehumanizing. It's so just horrible to hear, but we can't watch somebody stab somebody else. Yeah. That's, that's too far. That's too far. Yeah. That, that was, that was, I mean, if you're going to go there, go there, man, go there. But yeah, they just decided not to. I think another title for this film should have been Can't Sleep, Lesbians Will Eat Me. Now the police officers have the rapist in custody, right? And he's willing to reveal who his person and his cohort is, but he wants to make sure that he has immunity first, which, yeah, that's a dead end right there. At about that same time that that's happening, Emily and Andrea um, are having a conversation and Andrea invites Emily over because she knows she's being watched and she doesn't want to be there by herself and she's weirded out and still thinks Andrea is a friend. So Andrea says, hey, I've taken a place down the street. You need to come by, which is so like, hello, red flags, you know, but she's oblivious to it. So she decides to leave and go over to Andrea's, which is a Really weird fifth floor wood paneled room with a shower and not much else. Um, almost looks like a day spa. Uh, it reminded me of church camp. 
and then we get to the real, really the big climax of the movie where she started to realize that Andreas had something to do with this the whole time, uh, including killing the therapist and having something to do with the rape and having something to do with her cat being killed and stuff. Oh, which oh yeah, we, we glossed over that. Oh my God, yes, yeah, we, I'm so sorry. We glossed over that. We have to go back. We have to go back to that uh, because that cat. Uh, in the freezer was absolutely hilarious. Like I get that they were playing it for a fright, but I laughed. I laughed so fucking hard. <laughs> like, cause, cause, cause it's, it's leading up to before she goes to Andreas and it's just completely normal. And she opens, I think she opens the fridge first and then she goes to the freezer and not only is the cat like dead in the freezer, but it's not in like a, taxidermy position it's it's like lumped over and then it's like frozen and it's cat paws like in different positions like it was moving hanging out yeah like (laughs) yeah the tongue's hanging out and it was mid move and shit when it died and then it falls to the floor and it just i was half hoping that it was gonna like fall apart but it just went funk just pumped right against the floor yeah if you're gonna actually play that for a fright or you know an alarm instead of a comedy beat you probably should have just left it at the close up of the cat's face and then not had the cat drop out of the freezer. Cause then that's the point where I'm just like, you're intentionally being funny. <laughs> I, I, I haven't laughed that hard in a movie and I don't even know how long. And I hate that it was this one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So now we're at the crux of it. Emily and Andrea are having that confrontation and Andrea is spilling the beans about everything. And it's like, I would never hurt you. I'm your friend. And, and they do that fade out whenever she goes up and like, they're touching each other's faces. They do a fade out to go back to Bob, who is in uh, Emily's apartment. She, he's trying to figure out where she could have gone off to. And they do that fade out almost as if, you know there was something else there so do did 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 she lesbian rape her i have to ask that that's what we're led to believe i don't know i don't even necessarily want to like uh that i i i probably <laughs> did that whole fade out them doing the face touching thing kind of like a face-off scenario which i'm sure that's a movie we will get to at this podcast at some point in time goddamn masterpiece you shut your mouth <laughs> i'm sure if it doesn't show up on one of our lists i'm sure that we'll have a special guest request that movie at some point i i can pretty much guarantee that but yeah so we have the lesbian rape i know you don't like that word so i'm just going to keep saying it but uh, it's 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 like knives on the ears it stings the nostrils so we have that moment and then we keep flashing to sam who's trying to figure out where she could have gone because she's not at her apartment where he told her to stay and he also told her to close the curtains which she didn't close the curtains and if you know that someone's watching you through your windows why are you going to get sheer curtains i'm just saying he's flipping through her i don't want to say a phone book but right rolodex rolodex I mean, it was a it was a fancy Rolodex. Like it wasn't one that like turned, but it was one that you could actually like go to the actual letter of the alphabet and it'd go straight to it. And then he notices that the G's are missing. So um, he puts two and two together that, oh, it's got to be Andrea because her last name is Glasson. And then there's this, this super just odd, 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 odd climax where like they've quote unquote spent the night together and like she's holding her hostage with with the same <laughs> caressing her with the same switchblade and then she's crying andrea that is they're both crying at this point and just breathing shakily and just 
They're mimicking the scene in the beginning. It's disgusting. And then finally the cops show up. Yeah. Well, and they don't even like bust with the door, like get the fuck on the ground. It just fade out. Yep. And we see police lights. She ends up going hysterically through the entire rape scene and like saying the audio from the rape scene. And then the thing that snaps her out of it is that finally Emily is just like, I can't take it anymore. And just slaps the shit out of her and it just stops her. And that's it. That's, that's the end of the story is she got slapped and now the police are here. And then that motherfucker. Okay. I could not believe at the end of this movie, after she has been through all of this, she has been raped twice, had an attempt rape on her once, had her neighbors killed, her therapist died, and her cat was killed and then stuffed in her freezer. And this fucking guy, this fucking detective had the nerve to look at her and be like, I told you not to leave the apartment. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the most victim blamey bullcrap. And then they're just like walking off into the sunset and they do a fucking breakfast club. Yeah. It's yeah. Freeze frame, it's, hopeful. Oh my God. It's so, so terrible. So essentially, in the end, what this whole story was trying to convey to the audience, at least in my eyes, is lesbianism is, is directly connected to insanity. And that is just disturbing. And I and no wonder an LGBTQ plus community doesn't like this movie at all. We'll just we'll just be nice about it and say that. I mean, it is absolutely horrible. It does nothing positive for the LGBTQ community, which is already an underrepresented community in these times, especially in the 1980s. This movie had no business being made. And really, there's not a whole lot of redeeming qualities about it. Is there anything that you can think of? Be honest. Like, is there anything that you can say about this movie that's good? I really like Liz Ashley's performance I, with what she's given. She's doing her best and I like her work. Everything else, there's mildly admirable camera work, but you're a DP. That's your job. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's where I was going to go with it was the fact that like, this movie had so many plot problems, so many um, social problems um, and how they're dealing with the topic of LGBTQ. But I thought it was shot very well. Like there was some shot composition in there. I'm like, that's that's really good. Yeah, but like there was the other thing I hated was the fucking 10 second cross dissolves. Oh, yeah. They would fade images from like one frame to the end. Granted, I didn't cut actual footage. I've only edited digital footage, but like I've seen crosses all faster than that for movies older than that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I get it. You know, this was the guy who did the Godfather. He is, he is the guy who did those long drawn out sequences and stuff like that. Kind of like what the Godfather had, but this was not the movie to do that with. It wasn't. (laughs) This re- this movie really shouldn't have been made, if we're being perfectly honest. But I think we can uh, try to find some other people's opinions, reviews, perspectives in this segment that we like to call the "Can't Buy Me Love" review of the day. It's the "Can't Buy Me Love" reviews of the day. Come on, let's hear them out. Oh hell nah. 
Here's one I found off of uh, Letterboxd, which is it's in the same vein as Rotten Tomatoes as just kind of a place where film geeks come and post their reviews. Uh, this comes from Megan underscore maggot. The angry homophobic cat made my day. Four stars. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, that's where I got my comment from earlier because I read that one as well. And I thought that was probably the best comment you can make about this film. I've got one by actually this one is a critic, uh, David Denby. And he says, Windows exist only in the perverted fantasies of men who hate lesbians so much they will concoct any idiocy in order to slander them. Yeah, I, I, I really can't describe that any better than that. Yeah, no, that is very, very accurate. It's just atrocious. It does nothing good for LGBTQ relations. And then Gordon Willis, I mean, hey, man, you're a great cinematographer. But um, yeah, that does not necessarily always translate to being a good director. Maybe maybe your best bet was sticking behind the camera, my man. Well, man, uh, I think it's the end of the flick as we know it. And now, for the moment you've been waiting for, it's the end of the flick as we know it! No, seriously, get out. Go on. Get. Shoot. In this segment, we like to basically just kind of go over any extra stuff. If there's any extra details that we haven't gone over, if there is any comments or anything with the budget or any just trivia questions that we want to throw out there, uh, we do it from different resources like IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, all kinds of different places. But we just kind of accumulate some of the best stuff that we could find into this segment. So one interesting fact that I actually found online is that Bill Murray, actually auditioned for the role of Bob, the detective, which uh, definitely would have enhanced this movie. I would love to see that movie. I, I don't I don't care if you put if you resurrect Jimmy Gandolfini and he signs on for an extra season of Sopranos if he's in this movie. I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> yeah. No matter who you put in it, it doesn't change the fact that the plot is absolutely terrible. It was a blessing in disguise, Mr. Murray. <laughs> you you should you, you should be happy that you did not get that role. I could not find anything online about the actual budget for this film. So I'm not sure on exactly how much it took to make it. I can't imagine it took very much, though, because when we're talking about a thriller in the 1980s and we're talking about like, I mean, some of the backdrops and some of these set pieces were just god awful. And you can just tell that they were trying to find anywhere they could to actually shoot this thing. I, honestly, I don't see the budget being very high, which it's probably a good thing because worldwide that movie only grossed two million $128,000. Massive flop, <laughs> to say the least. I can't believe this movie got made. I think we've pretty much hit on anything that this movie actually has to offer. As a matter of fact, one last little bit of trivia that I found was the UK cinemas and video versions were heavily cut by like two minutes and 16 seconds by the BBFC, which is kind of their, I guess, uh, um, like FCC. Yeah, the FCC that we have over here in the United States, which actually was all taken out of the opening rape scene. So, yeah. I wish I got that version. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because that scene did not need to be as long as it was. It was technically the first major release of the 1980s. It was released in January 18th by United Artists. It started the year off with a bang, that's for sure, as far as, as shitty movies go, because we've already discussed Xanadu. And we're talking about Windows today and we've got 
a lot more coming up here pretty soon that are in contention with this one as just terrible movies. Um, but that's why we do this podcast is so we can learn from it and understand what makes these movies so terrible and make sure that we don't do that in our own projects. Right, Karen? Correct. And we watch these stinkers so you don't have to. <laughs> exactly. Or you can watch the stinkers and, you know, lament along with us. Um, if you have anything that you actually think that we missed in this section, like any trivia questions or anything along those lines that you think we may have missed, you can always email us at my email address, roddenreels at gmail.com. That's R-O-D-D-E-N-R-E-E-L-Z at gmail.com. Please let us know. Uh, we'd love to hear it and we'd love to add it to our next podcast and we will We'll shout you out. Uh, first listener to submit a question to the email will receive a crisp $5 Venmo. You got to be the first one, though. We want to kick it off right. With that being said, I think we are close to uh, wrapping this thing up. So I guess we need to put this one on the sour scale. Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah, I think there's no question on this one. Um, you know, I uh, I started off my scale with Xanadu being right in the middle at a five. And I would definitely say that this is a worse film than Xanadu. Xanadu has absolutely zero real plot structure to it. It's terrible. But this movie has all the plot. They just picked the wrong fucking plot. Uh, Xanadu made me feel good in places. <laughs> this piece of garbage, it just, it made me feel nothing but hatred for the people who made it and sadness for the characters they created. Watching this morally and ethically bankrupt piece of fake art my mental health is worse off for it. <laughs> I'm definitely putting mine at a four. I'm going to put it there. Um, definitely worse than Xanadu. Where do you put it on your scale? Oh, that's a one, baby. That's a one. All right. So you got Xanadu at 10 and Windows at one. I'll let you, well, the thing is, I'll, they're fluctuating ratings, right? Right. Yeah. We're going to be fluctuating and stuff like that. That's not a problem at all. It just, it is a testament to how much you loathe this movie. Someone's going to have to work real hard, really <laughs> hard. <laughs> Maybe uh, Neil Diamond or Neil Young's jazz singer. Oh, Neil Diamond. Yeah, Neil Diamond's the jazz singer. And I don't know why they remade that movie. I hate that one, too. <laughs> Any hooser. I, yeah, that's that's a one for me, dog. I cannot imagine me hating something more than this. Yeah, well, just wait, buddy. We got some doozies coming up. All right. With that being said, I think it's time for our last segment called mm, Plugs, Not Drugs. Man, fuck these drugs. I think it's time we spread some plugs. You got those plugs? Hey man, let me get some of them plugs. I'd say it is Bible for a plug. All right, so this is the part of the show where we just plug away on different stuff that we have going on personally. Kieran, what you got going on? Man, I always got the music thing going on. Radio War, R-A-D-I-O-W-O-R-E. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and wherever you can find uh, band social media. Y'all got a new music video, right? Uh, we do. Not out at the moment. We just wrapped principle on that. We might have a couple of pickup days and we got to cut it together. But we do have a single coming out. We have a recently released single that came out about a month ago called Holy Light. It's on our Spotify and uh, Apple Music Bandcamp. We're on everything. <laughs> it's a banger. It's a banger for sure. Uh, thank you for the endorsement, Jesse. Other than that, uh, I have a joint short film that I'm working on with my co-host, Jesse Rodden. Ooh, me. Yes. And we are currently in the fundraising phase of it. And if you want to donate to that, 
more power to you. Jesse, I'm going to pass it off to you. Yeah, that is at gofundme.com backslash campfire cravings. And you can also follow me on my website at roddenreels.com. That is with a Z. So it's R-O-D-D-E-N-R-E-E-L-Z.com. At the landing page, you can find the campfire cravings link and it will send you to the GoFundMe campaign. We cannot do it without you guys. So please get out there and donate if possible. We are looking to go into production here around September October. The money that we do get from our people, we will promise you that we will put something out no matter what. Look for that. Donate to that if possible, and we would really appreciate it. We also have another short film. It is a short film that we had already completed. I was the director and Kieran was my first AD on. We have been viewed at several film festivals. We've actually got accepted into our fifth one, which was the Cannes Shorts Film Festival. Super excited about that. I'm hoping to hear more on that. We were nominated for best horror film. So hope we get it. But if not, it was just an honor to be nominated. Ain't that right, Kieran? Absolutely. Now, excuse me while I drink out of this gallon of water. <laughs> Make sure you get them good swallows. I want it, I want it in that audio. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's some good stuff. That's what they should have played in that rape scene, which is a bunch of like... Motherfucker, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that would have made it that much better. If, the, if this was 07, maybe. <laughs> Let's see. Other than that, you know, I just want to plug this podcast. Um, we have done our first couple episodes now with Xanadu and Windows. I hope you guys have been enjoying it. It has been a blast to do this with my co-host, Karen Gibbs. Um, it's always a blast to collaborate with you, man. Next up, I believe we are going to have Saturn 3, which by the people that are in the movie, you would think that this would be a hit. However, it is Far from it. With people like Kurt Douglas, Harvey Keitel, and the beautiful and lovely Farrah Fawcett. That will be for next week. Thank you all for joining us. We really do appreciate y'all listening in. And uh, that's all the berries worth picking. We'll see you in the fields next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to Raspberry Fields Forever, a Rod and Reels podcast. Available on Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you receive your podcast. You can go to the website www.rodandreels.com for even more content. Thanks for listening.